Okay, a very good evening to you. Welcome to the first in the brand new uh, series or seasons, as you say, of the locker room. Um, of course, we were here for the Euros. Disappointing, but um, nevertheless, we'll be here every Friday night between 5 and 7 on Indie Live Radio. Don't forget, you can email us at any time you that. You can email us at the locker room Indie Live at gmail.com. So, Matthew, it's me and you, but also we've got other, other people that joining us this season. So, how's, how's it been, Matthew? I think the good thing about having other people on here is the fact that uh, it makes us look more beautiful, Michael. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's why you've not got your camera on, Matthew. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, bad yeah. Day. Welcome back, actually. Um, gig, have a decent summer. Yeah, well, like you say, we were here for the Euros and it kind of made the summer go a bit quicker, actually, Michael. Um, It doesn't seem that long ago that we were here talking about the end of the season and then obviously the Euros. So it doesn't feel that long, but um, it's good to be back. It's good to have normal football back. It's good to have European football back for some of us. And uh, yeah, chomping at the bit to to get going and talking about the sport. Okay, let's go then. Let's introduce you to some of the new voices. Well, not new voices, because we're on our Euro shows as well. Enderai's famous presenter, apart from me and Matthew, that is, um, James E. James Elliot. I'll give you the Sunday name on the flag tonight. How's it going, James? I'm doing well, Michael. What time's this Scotland game kick-off tonight for the Euro show? I think we're pretty, uh, it's mainly Hull tonight on the Egg Cup, I think. Maybe doing our guest service at the Egg Cup. Um, <laughs> so, um, welcome back, James. Um, and thanks for, thanks for being part of the team this season. And also we're joined by uh, Graham as well. Uh, Graham uh, was one of our very new voices to end the live, and he says, oh, well, we'll come back anyway, so... Hi, Graham. How's it going? Not bad, boys. How are we doing? Happy New Season Eve. Absolutely buzzing. Yeah, exactly. And also, um, we have joined, and you may have heard this guy quite a few times, actually. Um, he's got more uh, podcasts than me and James kind of put together. Um, it's Regan Stevens. How's it going, Regan? Hey, Michael, I'm doing well, thanks, Ian. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, no bother, no bother. Um, so you're part of the team this season, so that's good. So, as I say, we're on till, um, in skeg of uh, 6 to 7, but on between 5 to 7. Not not 5 to 7, but 5 until 7. We'll be speaking about the football season upon us. We will be speaking about the Champions League and we will be speaking about the new season and also we'll speak about Tokyo because that would be a bit ignorant not to do a sports show without speaking about the Olympics as well. So uh, let's just kick things off then um, as we do on, on the show. Um, Matthew, a uh, disappointing night for Celtic uh, the other night in the Champions League qualifier. 
Well, here we go again, isn't it, Michael? Um, there was, a, there was a, <laughs> well, there was a song that came to mind when this happened. This uh, all transpired on um, Wednesday night there, and it was from the Smiths. Stop me if you think that you've heard this one before. And I think that song sums up perfectly Celtic in Europe. You know, you can 2014 Maribor, 2015 Malmo, 2018 AEK Athens, 2019 Cluj, 2020 Benic Barros, and then Wednesday night there, Michelin. So it's it's been a decade of absolute Champions League catastrophes really for Celtic and and Wednesday night was just another another one to add to those lists. Um, and, you know, as one, obviously somebody said who was a lot smarter than I am, uh, one of the definitions of badness is doing the same thing over and over again while expecting a different result. And I think that is basically where we're at with Celtic. And it's where the locker room's at because, you know, for the last 12 months, we have been talking about Celtic's downfall um, and European competitions, definitely. Um, for the, the last decade and here we are again. I mean, we could have played the show this time last year out again and it would have been exactly the same and exactly as accurate as it was back then. Yeah, I mean, going back to the very first game and I don't want to reminisce too much, but the first game, I thought Celtic was the better team up until Beacon uh, gets sent off and then it was... Yeah, you know, he was a bit of a stupid boy and that's but maybe being polite when I say that, you know, but um, they, they should have won that game 2-0 on that night. Yeah, I mean, the first game, I think Celtic were probably the better team for, what, 60, 70 minutes of that. And I think before the equaliser, you know, there was... Actually, for both the games, there was just before the, the equalisers, there was guilt-edge chances to make it 2-0 um, that Celtic didn't take. So... You know, on the one hand, yeah, the performances weren't too diabolical if you're looking at it like that. But, you know, the fact that we're up against a team that probably, um, pr- well, definitely, I think, weren't at their best. I mean, Michelin have had a couple of good seasons in Europe. They've only been around since, what, 1999 or something. Um, they've had a few good seasons in Europe, but they themselves have said that, you know, this year for Michelin was a transitional sort of season. So they themselves, I think, coming into the Celtic game were probably thinking they were going to get knocked out. But I don't, and, you know, during the two games, yeah, they maybe had 30 minutes um, of the of the two games overall where I think they were the better side. But generally, I think they were the worst side Celtic have come up against in Champions League qualifiers. And I think Celtic themselves, that's the worst sort of Celtic have been in Champions League qualifiers for the last 10 years. It was a very lacklustre game. And the only people rubbing their hands together, I think, watching the two ties would have been PSV Eindhoven, um, who would have been thinking, whoever we get from this tie, I think we're going for a bit of an easy game. And, you know, Michelin will get knocked out in the next round, no doubt about it. But the question marks are there for Celtic, I think, overall, again, you know, defensively, you know, we, we had probably, I mean, I said it was a bit unfair maybe, but I said it was probably the worst Celtic defence on paper I've seen for a long time. And, and I think that's accurate when you think about you know, where Celtic have been over the last few years. I think the last time, you know, we played a Champions League game would have been, what, 2017. And if you think about the team then, you know, we had Craig Gordon in goal. You had, you know, Lustig, Boyata, Savanovic, Tierney. Um, in midfield, you had players like, you know, Brown Armstrong, Forrest, uh, Sinclair, McGregor. And then up front, obviously, you had, you know, Edward was there, you know, Griffiths was on the bench. But when you compare that to last night, you know, when you think about the, the defence there that I've just named and think last night we had um, 
you know, Bane and Goal, who it was a toss-up between Bane and Barkas. And, you know, I don't think it mattered who was in Goal, to be perfectly fair. None of them are Celtic class. Then you had, you know, Ralston, Welsh, uh, Montgomery, Murray, whoever you want to put in there. And though that that backline isn't probably good enough for, arguably isn't good enough for a top six Scottish side, let alone, you know, a Champions League qualifier. So you can compare the, how Celtic have dropped in class even from 2017 from now. And then if you take even that 2017 team from even going back to Martin O'Neill's last year or Gordon Strachan's first couple of years, you can see the drop in quality that we've had. And, you know, I, I, I just can't see where we're at. I think, you know, we brought in a new manager, that's fine. He knows he's got to bring in new players, that's fine. But, you know, the, the board has to look at what they want from Celtic. Do they want a side that's good enough to compete in Scotland? Um, and I think that's where I think Celtic are at. They do want a team that's going to compete in Scotland. And, you know, like I said, with that back line, um, that's very much a team that's set up to compete in Scotland or do you want Celtic to be a massive club? Do you want Celtic to be able to compete in Europe? And if that's the case, then Ben Ralston, Welsh, Murray, Montgomery, that ain't going to cut it. And um, I think maybe not sack the board. Sack the board's probably too strong considering where we were in the 90s. But we need Celtic, We need to see at Celtic a reshuffle um, that's, that's going to bring Celtic back into being a big club on the European stage again, not just in the Scottish football game. And Rangers have managed it. Rangers, by all means, have went out. They've they've brought players in that have seen them being able to compete in Europe and they've they've got the rewards in that and European money. And I just don't think Celtic have that ambition at the moment. And until Celtic get that, then, you know, next year it's going to be someone else. The year after it's going to be someone else. God forbid, we could be into the end of June, beginning of July territory when you finally see Celtic getting knocked out of Europe, uh, European competition because that's where we're at. And, you know, maybe a lot of Celtic supporters have had that wake-up call after that um, performance last night that it's not good enough. Yeah, you said it yourself, Michael. It's not the manager's fault. I don't think it is. But I think we, know, we all need to now... Um, from a media base, from a supporter base, from whatever it is, look at where Celtic are at and take it take it on from there um, and build a massive European-style club that Celtic are, and they're just not acting like it. What, what was your take on the game, Regan? Because I've not spoke to you for a few weeks, apart from over emails and all that, but what, what was your take on the, the two Celtic games? Oh, Michael, I thought it was a big missed opportunity. Especially when you look back on it, everybody did a great chance to make it 2-0 for Celtic. But if you look over the piece, Celtic don't, they didn't deserve to win because they didn't win the game. I mean, you look at it, they got off to a great start when McGregor scored that goal. But apart from that, it, I mean, you look at someone like Edward, who, for me, it, like people say he's worth £20 million, but for the past two Celtic games, he's not offered anything to Celtic. He's been like a man, a man down. And then you look, the the problem for me, Michael, was uh, the 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 the, the, the uh, centre backs and the left back, right back. They were scared because they had a goalkeeper of Barkas being by behind them, so that wasn't going to be a big uh, beneficiary. So I think it's going to be difficult for Celtic to qualify for Europe now because they need to go through two qual- qualifiers as well. Mm. So. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll come on to speak about that on, because they've got a game in first and they find the time quarter five kickoff um, away from home first. But, Graham, um, 
just touching upon the new season, um, obviously, like you, 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 you have, you have a very keen interest on the high. Uh, well, I was going to say the high beats, uh, but Hearts, uh, they're they're playing Celtic uh, tomorrow night at eight o'clock. Funny kickoff time again, Graham. But uh, obviously, we'll come back and speak about that in a minute. But you must be confident going into that game after, you know, Celtic putting so much effort into that game the other night um, against Hearts at Ten Castle tomorrow night. To be honest, mate, following Hearts, I am never confident, as Matthew will tell you, because I tell him every time we're going to get beat. Um, to be honest, I think if we have a go at Celtic tomorrow, I think we've got a chance. My worry is, that Robbie Nielsen will go back to what he normally does. He'll play defensive tactics and sit back and basically try and soak up the pressure. I think for us to have any chance tomorrow, we've got 5,000 fans at that game, all Hearts fans. Celtic are vulnerable, especially at the back. We have to come out quickly, have a go at that defence, and there's every chance we could win. If he sits back, plays defensive, lets Celtic dominate, the same will what happens all the time. We'll end up getting beat. I think um, we've got our first comment in for the, for the season, um, and I know who this is, and, and James might back me up here. Um, from in, Independent Live, um, I, um, I can let Talbot or a win um, 4 1 in the last game. So I think, taken from that, I think they won 4 1 in the last game, or maybe he's hoping that, that they're going to play Selkie and beat them 4 1. I'm not sure, but if you want to come back to me independently, but we know who you are, by the way. Uh, we won't mention names on there, but it's not very nice, Kevin. Um, but, but there you go. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean. Yeah, so so uh, so disappointing last night for Celtic. Looking forward to tomorrow night's game. It's always a difficult game at Ten Castle, Graham. Even if it was the first game, the last game, or the second, last game, or the fifth game, it's it's a difficult game to play. In. And I know you're you're saying about five thousand fans there, but they'll make a hell of a noise tomorrow night. They will do it to start with. And the only way to keep the fans on side is to come out flying. Really have a go at Celtic right from the start. If they put pressure on them and really have a go at Celtic, the fans will back them. The way they won't back them is if they sit back and just let Celtic dominate the game. That's not what Hearts fans want. They want to see a team that's going to attack. We're at home. We have to take the game to Celtic. If we do that, the fans will back them. If we don't, it could be a very difficult night. And I suppose, that James, it's good to see... The old derbies back apart from the Glasgow derby, you've got the Dundee derby and you've got the Edinburgh derby back this season. So a lot to look forward to. Uh, yeah, you can't you can't beat a derby match uh, regardless of where it is, uh, and it's one of the things that I always make a point of um, is watching derby games. So if it's Hearts and Hibs or Celtic and Rangers, Aberdeen, Dundee United, Dundee United and St Johnston even. Um, you know, or when I, you know, whatever it is in the world, that I love a derby game. It's full of passion, um, and always lots of a, 
controversial incidents, and which also, I love. Also, I forgot to mention about Monday night's game, uh, uh, James Air United against Kamark. I mean, when was the last time you saw that? You, you, you saw it in years gone by in the Scottish Cup, in the League Cup, but you're, you're not going to see that four times a season, you know, and I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, I think it'll be a cracking game. Um, and I think because it's a derby game, it'll be hard to, to call. But I'm going to stick my neck out and I'm going to go for a goal in it in favour of Air United. There you go. Oh, there you go. Sticking my neck yeah. out there. Yeah, and when we speak to James on on Sunday night, he'll probably say it's going to be five two to come out. Uh, but there you go. Keep it here, and you will hear it first and foremost. But yeah, I mean, just wrapping up the the kind of Champions League Celtic thing for a minute, Matthew. I mean, uh, another season for what's that? Four seasons now. They failed to get out the the qualifying rounds, and if you were a Celtic fan, you would be so disappointed. What I liked about that, Michael, there, as you said to Graham. Uh, you must be confident after Celtic putting so much effort in on Wednesday night. What? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I know Edward definitely didn't put in the effort on Wednesday night. I think he's just finally waking up after his slumber. Um, I mean, like I said, I think I, I'm not. Sh- I'm not surprised that this has happened. I mean, some Celtic fans, I think, were looking at that and maybe being a bit disappointed and shocked and. You know, Reagan, you know, said that it was a missed opportunity and it was looking back on the two ties. It was definitely a missed opportunity. But I think probably deep down most, a lot of Celtic fans and definitely from the media, you know, looking in, weren't surprised that this happened because it's, again, it's 12 months in the making. Um, you know, while Celtic played okay and Mitchelland were probably one of the, like I said, worst teams, one of the worst teams we've came across in the qualifiers or Celtic came across in the qualifiers we've seen as a, as a nation. Um, Rangers showed how it was done. Uh, was it last year, or a couple of years ago, knocking Mitchelland out the out of Europe? So, you know, the Scottish teams have done that previously, and Mitchelland didn't show much. Celtic were just—I mean, I don't think they got out of second or third gear. Um, I think they were there for the taking. Celtic missed chances, but again, you know, if you're not taking your chances and you have a defence that's so vulnerable and a goalkeeper that's or two goalkeepers that are very much lacking confidence, then what happened? wasn't so much of a surprise and you know for for me looking in for Celtic it maybe wasn't it maybe wasn't uh, the biggest disaster getting knocked out of Europe as such but the bigger picture going into that Hearts game and and forward was how much time are the board going to give Postacoglu because from from looking at that side I can't see it getting a lot better I think Celtic are going to struggle and there was even talk you know of Hibs and Hearts uh, rubbing their you know hands together thinking you know, that second place is up for grabs here. It's, it's that serious. Um, and Postacoglu is already talking about, you know, who are we going to bring in? Celtic need to bring in people the board or not, maybe moving as quickly as they as they always don't do. Um, um, and I think trouble may be brewing already, and we're not even in August. That's a sad thing. It's been 12 months of managers and the board at each other's throats in regards to players' recruitment. And, you know, coming into that Hearts game, like you said, Tynecastle was is never an easy place. Um, there's 5,000 fans who, like Graham said, if Hearts go for it and those fans get behind Hearts, then I can see Celtic possibly crumbling under the pressure. And we've been we've all been here before watching this Celtic side, whether it's this side or a few years ago. You know, if you go to Hearts and you're struggling, um, it's not a nice place to be. 
and you know inexperienced manager and some you know new players coming in there experiencing Tynecastle for the first time and even though there's 5,000 fans they'll be all on top of the pitch um, Hearts yeah I mean like Graham has always said you know they're not they're not the hearts of old possibly um, but as we've always seen when Hearts or Hibs always come up against uh, Celtic or Rangers whether they are playing poorly they always go up that gear a little bit you know they always give 110% and I think this game at Tynecastle tomorrow is going to be very, very interesting. And, you know, we're, like I said, we're, we'll be only in early August and we could already be seeing a, a particular newspaper having a broken crest on their back back cover already. What about the... Yeah, so obviously um, we will look at the rest of the games now. Kicking off at Ibrox versus the champions at Rangers there at home to Livingston. Quite a weird kick-off time after the half one. But hey, that's sky for you some sometimes. Uh, Dundee against Midden. We've got Ross County against Johnson. And obviously we've touched upon uh, Hearts and Celtic uh, on Saturday night. On the Sunday... Uh, 3 o'clock kickoff from Motherwell against Dundee and Ikeg and uh, what's that half 4 kickoff um, Motherwell against Hibs and on Monday night it's James Egg the big derby is back uh, come out against Air United so let, let's pick apart these games then let's begin at Ibrox um, where they, they scat the defence of the title against Livingston so um, you know, you know, looking forward to this one, James. Sorry about that, Michael. Yeah, I uh, just couldn't get myself unmuted there. Um, to be honest, if I'm going to be completely honest, I don't really worry about other teams, um, other than the team that I support, unless they play the team I support. Um, but I don't see Livingston turning Rangers over in the opening game of the season. If they do, it will be a major shock in Scottish football. It'll be as much of a shock as when Berwick Rangers put Rangers out of the Scottish Cup. You guys probably won't even remember that. You are that young. You are just wee boys. Um, but unfortunately, I'm old enough to remember. <laughs> but yeah, it'll be a big shock to me, if uh, Livingston do manage to, to pull it off. Um, I just think Rangers will be far too strong for them, and they're going to have a, a decent crowd in there supporting them as well. So I think it's three points for Rangers on Saturday afternoon. And also, Sky would be a bit annoyed at this because, uh, as you know, James, after the first, uh, before the beginning of the first game, they raised the uh, champion, the the flag before the game, but Rangers uh, postponed it until was it September because they want mm. the full high for that game. And if I was Sky TV, I would be just a wee bit annoyed. You get that because that was the whole point of Sky covering that game um, to see that the flag getting unfurled at Ibrox, but Rangers took it back. And but when Rangers came out with that uh, two weeks ago, I think it was now. It was too late for Sky to say, right, that's it. We're not covering that game. That they've they've still got to go ahead with that game. Well, te technically speaking, Sky could pull the plug right up to ten minutes before the game kicks off, 
Um, it's what they would replace it with, obviously, is the, is the question. But do you know what? I can completely understand where Rangers are coming from, uh, delaying the unfurling of the flag, because they want to have as many of their own supporters in the stadium um, as possible to see that. Because quite a lot of the supporters won't remember the last time Rangers actually won a league. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Um, James, but James, no. um, do you think it's because they've never done it before that they just don't know protocol about let, raising the flag <laughs> that, the first time? First, uh, that's a first controversial um, <laughs> no, no. Uh, thing of the season. Yeah, that's good, <laughs> Matthew. Keep it up. That's how you hate for it. <laughs> You've obviously nailed your colours to the mask there, Matthew. Um, <laughs> but as I said, I mean, that's a long time since Rangers have managed to do that in terms of a Premier League uh, flag day. But let's not forget, when they went down the leagues, um, they did come back rather quickly by winning, you know, consecutively, pretty much. So, you know, they do know how to unfurl the flag. It's not as if they've never done it before, um, but it will be the first time in a long time for them to do it with a Premier flag. And uh, Regan, uh, it's just good, it's good, good to see fans back in ski games. I mean, we saw it in the Euros, that makes sorts of a difference, even if it's, you know, 5,000 or 1,000 or whatever, um, or even 10 people, maybe. <laughs> but it's better than no fans in the ski game, so that, that'll be good to see fans back in the ski games. No, it's going to be absolutely brilliant, Michael. I mean, I think there's 17,000 here tomorrow, is that, is that correct? So. Uh, I'm not, I think, yeah, yeah, I think you're right for that. That Rangers game you're talking about, yeah. 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 But no, I think, I think Rangers will win this game pretty comfortably. I think they'll win by three or four goals. Three or four goals for me. What about the. I, I want to touch upon Graham's point uh, when he made about the attendances at games. Obviously, we'll come on, on to that because there's been some. A bit of some supports aren't very happy about, about this, and I know Graham. Uh, touched upon this um, earlier on about the Hearts game tomorrow night but I just wanted to uh, speak to you guys about uh, Dundee and St Mirren again Dundee will unfurl the flag but I've got to speak about St Mirren first because I think it came out earlier this week that um, the fans own the club now and I think you might find that in a few few years you, you might think it's a way to go for most clubs in, in Scotland, Graham. Yeah, I mean, I'm very surprised that three St Mirren fans have managed to buy their own club, but fair enough. Um, no, I think it's I think it's brilliant, to be fair. You know, Hearts have obviously gone down that route. Um, I think a number of other clubs will do the same thing. I think it's brilliant, to be honest. I think it's a really good thing to do. It's nice to see how the, the show is panning out the way that I want to get to go on the first night so so that so thanks for thanks for coming Graham and uh, we'll see you next year. Um no, I'm okay. Yeah, I, I, it's good to see um fans taking over uh, the the club because they're the like the heart and soul of the the club. Um were, were you a bit surprised when you saw that news Reagan or were you quite pleased for the St Mirren fans? No I think it's great news Michael I mean if you look at Germany in Austria, that's the kind of way forward for there. I think the fans like it because they feel as if they're part of the club. And I think more clubs in Scotland should uh, follow suit as well. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, so obviously, um, let's speak about that game then. Tomorrow, Dundee. Uh, Dundee actually did well in the playoffs because they were up against some good teams like Ray Forwards. Uh, and, and obviously they go up after that. But it's good to see a team like Dundee back in the Premiership after about, what is that, about two or three seasons away, away Graham. So it's good to see them back in the big, uh, the, the kind of big boys league. Yeah, I'm interested to see how they're going to do. Um, I think Charlie Adam, to be fair, has been a really good player for them. I think he's probably been their best player. I think... <sighs> I think for Dundee, I think if they can finish, I don't know, sixth or seventh, that's not a bad thing for them. Um, I'm genuinely intrigued to see how they're going to do. And I think, I actually think they'll win their opening game. I think they'll be one at 1-0. And I'm I'm excited to see what they're going to do this season. It's right, it's right. Um, when you say you're quite excited to see what they're going to do this season, another team would be quite excited would be St. Johnson, especially because they won the double last season. Yes, St. Johnson won the double. Um, and there are no fans there to see it. And that was a bit disappointing in the cup final. But they're getting to, well, maybe not going up to Ross County, but uh, the week after they'll be at home. And I don't know who they're up against yet. But it's good to see St. Johnson fans being in this game uh, to celebrate the double. Um, with the team, but that's going to be an interesting game as well, Matthew, because Ross County, we, we spoke about it on the show last season, you don't know what team Ross County is going to, you, you don't know what, um, can I like, say Ross County will, will turn up? No, I mean, we said last season, you know, just when you think Ross County had sort of got a grip of it and were starting to come on form, they just go on a dip, so they're always a bit of a sort of yo-yo team in that regard, but you know, St. Johnson, going back to them, it's just devastating in some ways that they've probably had, well, they have had um, their best season that they could probably ever have and probably ever will have. And it's just a shame that the fans themselves couldn't be in to, to celebrate that themselves. But, you know, St. Johnson are on a high. Like I said, they're not going to they're not gonna have a better season. They'll, at very best, they'll have the, a similar sort of season, but... They're not going to have better than that. It's just whether they can keep their best players, uh, whether they can keep their manager, and whether they can push on, really. Um, but it's exciting to see St. Johnson. I think the end of the league campaign was probably their only disappointment. Um, and they'll be hopeful, really, to maybe push on from last year's cup performances and, and get into the top six. But, you know, like most of these sorts of sides, like Ross County, like Livingston, um, the budgets are quite low. Um, so if they can keep hold of their best players, brilliant. Um, if they can keep keep hold of uh, even their best players from places like Bells Hill, uh, they should be okay. But if a big side comes calling, then they will lose their best players, and that's the only disappointing thing for for teams like St. Johnson is that you know big teams will come sniffing, take their best players, and then they'll struggle again. So if they can hold on, you know, keep keeping the sniff of that top six place and I think that's a successful season for St. Johnson um, and fingers crossed for them because they're a really well run club uh, they always have been um, so fingers crossed that they're coming into it good um, and it'll be exciting to see where they go and, and Ross County similar Ross County I think if they can stay up then that's a successful season for Ross County 
But you know, you've got teams like Dundee and, and there you've got teams like Livingston again, even though they weren't they didn't have an awful season as such, but their budgets are very low. So the bottom of the table again will be interesting to see who can sort of use their budget wisely, who can get in players players wisely on on those cheaper budgets. Um and there's always one of those sides that do push on and do well. So um yeah, it'll be interesting to see where we're at. And the first game of the season is always interesting because you get an idea as to how the trajectory of the season will go. And if you've got any comments or predictions for the new season, give email lockerroomindialive at gmail.com. Of course, you're listening to The Locker Room. We're on be every Friday night between 5 and 7 o'clock at night, and we're just looking forward to the new season. If, as Graham says, the eve of the, the season, uh, it's, it's like Christmas Eve to football fans and, and journalists as well, as well, just getting out of the house to the, to the game. Before we move on to the Sunday games, I want to uh, speak about, uh, take you back earlier on when, when James, um, Graham was mentioning about fans back in the ski games, it's brilliant to see fans back in the ski games, but... It came out on Monday, I think it was Hearts, the Edinburgh City Council was awarded in Hearts, was, was it 4,000 grand for the game against Celtic on Sunday, uh, and tomorrow night? It was just over 4,000, um, and then Hearts put in another, another basically petition, and we're now just getting over 5,000. I don't really understand how these tickets are getting allocated. I think like in Motherwell, I think they're I don't know how many they're getting, but they're also getting two thousand Hibs fans at their game mm-hmm. away. I don't really know what the how the council are working this out. Um and from what I've been hearing today, one of my mates, um, he was in the ballot for a ticket for the game tomorrow. He didn't get one, yet other folk who have attended the last couple of games have managed to get one. So, so I don't know how we're working the tickets out. So are you saying for the Hibs game, uh, Graham, that the fans are away, um, allowed in, the away fans? Because uh, uh, am, am I right in saying that I thought it was only the home fans I was allowed in, not the away fans? No, but no the Motherwell Hibs game on Sunday, there are 2,000 Hibs fans allowed in. Yep. Reagan, you, you were good this. You were good there. Yep. I'm just going to say this, and Johnson have also announced that they're going to get 2,000, uh, a couple of thousand fans up to Ross, Ross County tomorrow as well. They've said that they're going to get fans in there as well. So. Ah, that, that's interesting because yeah. that's news to me because I, I only thought the home fans were allowed in. I didn't think the away fans were, were going to be allowed in, but they go every day's a school day. But I don't think it's right because, I mean, Going back to the Celtic game uh, against Michelin the other week, um, they had, how, how many was the Ligon for, for that game? Was it 18,000? 9,000. 9,000. Now, I, I don't know how they can work that one out because I had more for the West Ham game and you would think the fans would maybe play a bigger part in the game. It means something, not a, a meaningless game uh, against... West Cam and, and all that. But I, I don't see... We, we can fill two hours with this. I don't see how that the councils can make this decision. I mean, for 10 castle, you can easily get about 10,000 in there, easy. 
Yeah, I think one of my mates has said that earlier. Yeah. We could easily have got 10,000 yeah. in, but I don't know how they're working it out. I really have no idea how they're figuring this out. And it's the same with Selkie Park the other week on Ibrox as well. You could easily fit about, about uh, 20,000 in there easy and, and spread them uh, about, you know. It's, it doesn't mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense, James. I don't know what, what your views are on this, but, and I, yeah, I think we need Carol Vogman in here to help us out with the numbers. <laughs> I, I think at the end of the day, Michael, it, it doesn't really matter how many supporters are in. The important thing is that you get supporters in. Mm. It's how the supporters behave in terms of, you know, keeping their distance. And let's be honest, we've all been at football matches and our team have scored, you know, a vital goal. And we'll all be jumping up and down and hugging people, you know, that are around about you, you know, because you're just so enthused by it. And that's where the real worry is going to come in, mm. you know, in terms of from a government point of view, and from a local authority point of view. But, yeah, I think you could probably get, you know, I I thought that there would probably be something like maybe a 1,000 to 2,000 Celtic supporters um, would be at Tynecastle, just based on the fact that there was going to be 2,000 Hib supporters at the Motherwell game. But as Graham says, I mean, who knows how that local authority in Edinburgh have decided, you know, what they're going to allow and what they're not going to allow. And I think you're right, James, because I never took that into consideration when you go to most grounds in Scotland, apart from Parkhead and Ibrox and maybe Hamden or Puss, the facilities are very, very tiny uh, compared to the biggest games. And you've got to take into consideration about toilets as well and you know, um, if there's one way one way in and one way out and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, yeah we, we don't... Uh, I suppose, like, if you're a football fan, we don't take in consideration, like, oh, I should be going to the game. But then it's like, how do you get to the game? Uh, you know, social distance. And, and then when you're yeah. in a concourse of the game, how are you going to... Uh, mm. like, 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 two metres back. But, I mean, I suppose... <laughs> When you're watching the football, um, you're, you're told to wear face masks when you're sitting down. But nine times out of ten, um, nine times out of ten, when, when you tell football fans something, they do the opposite. <laughs> um, so uh, the the West Ham game last week, um, everybody had the masks off, even though the the P announcer said, even when you're sitting at your seat. Um, wear your mask, you know. Thing is, though, Michael, how many times have you been at a football match and the PA announcer tells people not to stand or jump up and down, you know, because you're meant to be sitting through the whole game? <laughs> it ain't gonna, it ain't gonna happen. No. Do you know what I mean? Unless you had a, a policeman or a steward for every fan that's in the ground, regardless of how many there are, you're just not going to stop it. And even then, you probably wouldn't stop it. Um. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's going to be interesting, but um, apparently next week, well, it's up to Mickerville on this one, but apparently next week the fans are back, allowed back in the stadium, so Celtic, they've got Dundee next Sunday at home, so you're talking about 60,000. No, you're not going to, you're not going to have 60,000 in Celtic Park next week, Michael. No, not anywhere near it. Um, if they, if they gave them 18, for West Ham, right? I think that they might up it to maybe 20 or 20 plus 
but they're not going to they're not going to go for a full house. The uh, it, even the government wouldn't do that. Some some breaking news is coming through to me. The 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 new Japanese player Celtic has signed. Um, he ha he'll take on the number eight jersey uh, after the captain Scott Brown. Uh, so there you go. That the, the what, Japanese. What's his, what's his name, Michael? Uh, the, his name is um, <coughs> Brilliant James. His name is. Uh, is that the hash? Is that the time already? Yeah. Um, Reagan. Why did you bail him out? Yeah, well done, Reagan. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Wait, can we mute Reagan? Where's Reagan's mute button? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, but apparently he's not in the country yet. He's supposed to be arriving last weekend. Uh, no, he's, right, he's, he's self he's self isolating in England. In London, yeah, so he's yeah. not so he's London. not in the country, James. Uh, no, no, and but, uh, well, he's in he's in the UK. Yeah, but still, yeah, intention yeah. purposes from and, an international standpoint as a country. Unfortunately, Scotland isn't from an international no, standpoint and, politically. And uh, I was watching today before we came on air, uh, Starfield's press conference as well. And he was isolated in, in another country, London, um, as well. But he's but he's up here. He's quite a big, he's quite a tall guy when you see him. And and he was saying that at the place that he's hoping to play a part in tomorrow's game at Ten Castle. Right. Let's go back to the Michael. Mm. Michael. I mean, I'm quite a tall guy compared to you, and I'm only five foot six. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, so I mean, obviously, um, we might have to speak about this in the next few weeks about fans going back into the game. But as you say, James, it's just, it's just get good to see fans back in that football. Well, as the great Jock Steen said, football is nothing without fans. Exactly. And on that note, we'll move on to speak about more games. Well, actually, I've just added that if you add in what James just said there, Celtic would be the ideal club to have the 60,000 in there because if the fans are not going to, if fans don't, or, ten, or fans tend to jump around and scream and shout when things are going well and when goals are scored, etc., then you might as well have 60,000 at Celtic Park there. <laughs> Uh, but, I, but I tell you just quickly before I mean there's lots of things going on with the I mean the Motherwell away fans situation I think you'll find Hearts obviously have a big season ticket fan base mm. Celtic obviously have a big fan base season ticket wise so the Rangers etc so you'll probably find that you know a lot of a lot of teams who are letting away fans in are fans that probably have the capacity to allow that when their season ticket base isn't large enough. Mm. I, I never knew that um, until until five seconds ago when, when uh, everybody was saying that. I only thought it was um, home fans allowed in. I didn't realise well, it was some away I mean, think of, if you if you think about it like this, if you're Celtic and you're letting 2,000 away fans in, then you're going to have 50,000 very unhappy season mm, ticket holders. Yeah. Um but if you're at Motherwell and you've only got maybe a handful of season ticket holders, and that's not to be disrespectful, that's just the, the nature of it, then I suppose you can then allow 2,000 Hibs fans to attend. But, you know, if you're Graham and say, and or you're anybody, if you're a Hearts fan and, you know, say they've sold maybe 
10,000 season tickets and your capacity is 20,000, I think you'll be a bit annoyed if 2,000, 3,000 Celtic fans attend out of the 10,000. So you can see how they've judged it. I suppose you might get away with it for part because they use the two scans being the goal. But bouncing that, the engines could ask you, you know yourself, Matthew, it's not the best. Um, uh, in the world and, and that's no disrespect to, to Murwell but it's always been uh, like that so yeah Murwell uh, I must admit Sunday's games look interesting actually Aberdeen against Dundee Nike that's going to be a brilliant game and uh, Murwell against Hibs as well uh, Aberdeen against Dundee Nike Scott Brown's first game as assistant manager and captain and obviously you've got the new manager skipping glass as well, so that's going to be a a, a very good game uh, at Aberdeen on Sunday, uh, James. Michael, Aberdeen, you're asking me to speak about Aberdeen with that traitor Bruni, or Bruner as he's known up in Aberdeen now, they've given him a new name, they call him Bruner. No, I, do you know what, he's... A great signing for Aberdeen. Um, it's just a shame that Celtic, you know, couldn't manage to hold on to him for, you know, another season domestically. Um, as somebody said the other night, uh, from a European standpoint, his legs probably aren't in it. But from the SPL uh, point of view, he's, he's an absolutely brilliant signing. And from what I've read, um, he's been doing very well in winning over the Aberdeen fans who, let's be honest, when it was announced he was going up to Pythagory, they weren't very happy about it. Yeah, um, and obviously uh, Dun- it's opposite for Dundee Mikey Gawibet because I thought like, when they come into this uh, the, the league last season, Reagan, they're going to push on um, for, for the t- um you know, and do well in cup competitions, but I don't know about you, but they were very, very poor last season. Yeah, they didn't really look, look, uh, do too well, but hopefully this season they've got a new manager. Is it Tam Courts, who is a Kilty Hearts manager? Yeah. And they've got and they've got as well, so he's a good goal scorer. And obviously they've got Big Charlie Mogru. Oh, Big Charlie, yeah, he'll score a free kick as well. So, no, they'll hope. Hopefully they'll do well. I can see Aberdeen win this game two one for me. What about the? Yeah, I mean, I mean, just just looking at the Aberdeen side, it's you know quite exciting as well, you know. But um, as soon as you mentioned Scott Brown, you know, I mean, he could go anywhere and cannot like, perform. But it's gonna be a bit weird for Celtic fans looking at him, uh, um, Glenn, um because he was at Celtic for so many years, yet he's left Celtic and went up to Aberdeen. Sorry, the Aberdeen there. Yeah, that's a very poor accent. Um, But yeah, it's going to be a bit weird for for Scott Brown, but I suppose it'll take us about time to get used to it. Yeah, I mean, I think I asked the question yesterday, did Celtic actually miss Scott Brown in Europe? And I actually think they did. I think it's a good signing for Aberdeen. I think he'll bring stability. He's got the experience. We signed a striker, a guy called Christian Ramirez, who's actually quite a good player. I'm interested to see how Stephen Glass is going to do with Aberdeen. I think, by all accounts, he's trying to play attacking football. Um, and I think Scott Brown's going to be pivotal at that. 
I think it'll be interesting the very first time he goes back to Parkhead as an Aberdeen player to see how he's going to get responded. Mm. Um, if he scores a I winning think... goal. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I think Scott Brown, listen, the guys are vastly experienced players. He's a very good footballer. I've a heart for I hate saying that, but I have to say it because it's true. Um, and I think he'll do very well at Aberdeen. And I think Aberdeen have potential to finish top three. Um, but... I think they can be very inconsistent. But I think Stephen Glass could do a decent job there. If he plays attacking football, Aberdeen fans would be delighted with that, I think. In the last game on Sunday for Park, we spoke about another interesting game, actually, uh, Matthew. Um, come to you in this one. A half-four kick-off for um, Motherwell and Hibs. I mean, Hibs obviously had a brilliant season last season. There's no denying that, you know, finishing third. I think that was the first time since 2005, possibly. Um, then obviously the only disappointing side, I think, for, for Hibs last year was the League Cup and the Scottish Cup um, results. I think they cost, um, cost Jack Ross really a, a really good season. But league-wise, they were fine. Um, they have to build on what they did last term. And that's always the trick for Hibs. You know, Hibs always have flattered to or flattered to deceive in the sense that they've always or they've sometimes managed to get to this point before. You know, 2005, one of them and, you know, Scott Brown and people like that were on the side and they're just on the brink of breaking into something better. And then obviously the bigger teams come sniffing around and take their, their best players and they're in that sort of space just now. Um And with Celtic really in a, I mean, like Graham mentioned about Aberdeen in the in the top three, possibly. Hibs are similar in the sense that, you know, with Celtic in this period of transition, Jack Ross might be looking at that and thinking, you know, there's a sneaky chance that Hibs can finish second if they keep Kevin Nisbet, if they keep Martin Boyle, um, if they keep Porteous, if they keep Doig, all their best sort of players. If Hibs keep that side together, then there's no doubt that they'll be up there in the top four, definitely sniffing around. And if Celtic do fall off the pace a little bit, which isn't completely um, beyond the realms of possibility given what we've seen up to now, then Hibs will be quite excited by that. But then Mother, the other side of the thing is Motherwell, obviously. Um, you know, Graham Alexander, he's, he steadied the ship at Fir Park after a pretty awful start to last season. Um, and despite, you know, finishing eighth, they did end the campaign as one of the league's, you know, informed sides possibly. And, and Motherwell fans can be optimistic um, to see what Alexander can do with a full season. Um, I think they've signed the goalkeeper there to try and shore up that back line. Um, but it's been, you know, they have lost the spine of last season in some regards. I think Declan Gallagher, um, Devante Cole, Alan Campbell, I think they've left Motherwell. So it'll be interesting to see what their side looks like because, you know, well, like a few sides in Scotland, it's difficult to know because there tends to be um, a bit of wholesale changes to a lot of these sides. Motherwell are one of those teams, um, but going on what Alexander did at the tail end of last season, Motherwell fans can be upbeat. But I think all eyes will be on the Easter Road side, you know. I think if they can keep hold of those players, like we said, uh, Jack Ross will be excited. And, you know, if if they, I mean, Graham and myself always laugh about Hibs and Bottle, and that's the problem you've got. You've got all of these talent, talented players there. Um, if Hibs keep hold of them, it's a very good side. It's just finally having the bottle to push on and get over the line. And actually, Scott Brown, um, even though he went to Aberdeen, I think Hibs would have been the ideal destination for Scott Brown, actually, because I think Scott Brown 
at Celtic had lost his legs a little bit. You know, I think in Europe last year, everybody at Celtic saw that, you know, he, he still, he knows how to get results. He knows how to push on players and things like that. But if he doesn't have the players around him to do the running, then he's going to struggle. Um, at Hibs, he would have had the players around him to do the running and he would have brought that successful mentality into Easter Road. So the Hibs have definitely missed a trick getting someone like Scott Brown in because that's what you're missing at Hibs, a winner who knows how to get over the line. And that would be my worry for Hibs this season is that, again, they're going into this season with players that haven't had success, don't know really how to get over that finishing line. And again, you could see Hibs sniffing around and just missing out. Um, and I know Graham would be laughing at that, but... Uh, yeah, it's disappointing, I think, that Hibs haven't got a player like Scott Brown in because, again, like I said, with all those youngsters running around them and having that winning mentality, that's exactly what Hibs needed. And it's uh, it's a shame from a Hibs point of view that he's went north instead of east. And also now that um, that that's a football for this weekend, but uh, let's move on now to speak about uh, the oval ball. Um, what do you mean the overball? Yeah, so every week we speak about the rugby on the show, but um, Matthew, you've been kind of like keeping up to date with the British Lions and and their tour at the moment. Just quickly, Michael, just to talk about Aberdeen. Uh, just before I go on about the rugby, and it just sort of came to my mind after the event. As usual, you'll know that normally when Michael moves on, things come to me. There was a thing about Aberdeen actually making a statue to Alex Ferguson. Um, and I think that's going up in Pataudry with the possibility of moving to the new stadium. So I think uh, from Aberdeen's point of view, again, it's a great move to have a statue to, to Alex Ferguson because really he was the founder of the modern Aberdeen as such. Um, they had great success in the league. They had great success in the cup. They had great success in Europe. Um, and I think it's right and proper that Aberdeen do have a, a statue to their version of Jock Steen in, in reality. So um, a good move. From Aberdeen, and uh, it's great to see Alex Ferguson being properly commemorated up there as being one of their best managers or the best manager of all time up there. Um, and just quickly before I move on to the British and Irish Lions as well, because um, Scotland's fourth autumn test opponents have actually been named. Mm. Um, well, I remember Tonga are going to be the fourth side to, to play Scotland in Nottingham Test this year. They come to Murrayfield on, th- on the 30th of October. Uh, that comes just before games against Australia, South Africa and Japan as Scotland finally come back to, to playing games after the British and Irish Lions tour. So I think the last time Tonga visited Scotland actually talking about the Ayrshire Derby, the last time they were in Scotland was actually at um, Rugby Park. Um, Scotland did win 37-12, but they were down at Kilmarnock. So that's that's uh, going to be an interesting uh, visit. So Tonga uh, finish off the Australia, South Africa and Japan autumn test uh, at Murrayfield this year. So exciting games. Um, and then on to, like you say, the British and Irish Lions, which to be honest is the only show in town in regards to, to rugby at the moment. Um, it was a cracking uh, result the first game that the Lions were actually 12-3 down at half-time, uh, but they came back to win a series opener 22-17. Um, there was a lot of, um, shall we say, controversy about the referee, refereeing decisions, um, and obviously captains having their say in regards to decisions in that first game, especially obviously from South Africa side. But, you know, the British and Irish Lions came on strong, and to win 22-17 in South Africa 
was a major, majorly um, positive performance. Dan Bigger, you know, he kicked 14 points last year. He's going to get another chance at them this weekend. There was only a few changes, really, I think. Um, ben Apola, he's coming in. Uh, Connor Murray's coming in. So the changes that they've got and the strength of depth that the British and Irish lines do have is unbelievable. So the side, I think, that's due to come up tomorrow is Hogg, Watson, Harris, Henshaw, Van der Merwe, who has been unbelievable for Scotland up to now, Bigger, Murray, Vanapola, uh, Cohen, Furlong, Atoji, Jones, Laws, Curry and Conan. So it's a very strong side to come up against South Africa. If British and Irish Lions obviously win, they win the tour, which would be a major, um, major sort of coup, given that, like I said, South Africa are one of the best sides in the world at the moment. And it's exciting to see, but the uh, they won't, the South Africa won't lie down. Obviously, they, they sound pretty peeved after the result on Saturday. They will come out fighting, and it's going to be a very exciting game to... Um, on Saturday to see where the Lions can can go. But like I said, Africa, South Africa will come out fighting and it's uh, a massive, massive game for the Springboks and for the Lions. Am I, am I right in saying, Matthew, as well, that they, they played one of the warm-up games at Murrayfield? They did. They played Japan, mm. uh, which... Which I did, which it was one of those games actually because you never knew if it was going to happen with COVID. Then it start, then um, then it was allowed to start, but you didn't know if there was going to be any fans there. But from what I understand, you know there was there was fans there. It went okay. Um, I heard that they stopped selling beer at half time. That was the only thing because of the queues at the at Murrayfield. I think were causing a bit of a COVID concern. But that went well. Obviously, then they were in Africa and they played, really, they play warm-up games as such. So a lot of the players who start these games aren't going to be the ones who start the series. Um, they've done okay. I think I think South Africa be possibly beat them even. Um, but yeah, the big game was obviously last weekend and, and the Lions did come out on top. But yeah, the the Springboks are fighting, you know, they're, they're angry about what happened last week. There was a lot of refereeing decisions that didn't go for them. They felt that the South African captain wasn't being listened to while, you know, Alan Wynne Jones was on the Lions side. So, you know, from what is a massive game anyway, when the British Irish Lions are in town, it's became very tense. It's became pretty, you know, aggravated. And, you know, this game is a bit of a grudge game now at the weekend. So I know there's not a lot of rugby fans possibly on the panel. Um, but if you're going to watch a rugby game, I think Saturday's the time to watch it because it's got it's going to be an explosive occasion. It might not be the best game of rugby, but I think there'll be a lot of niggles going on in this and it could be a little tasty on, on Saturday. Yep. Um, and it's good to see rugby um, back in the... The Olympics, so I'll go to speak about the Olympics in a minute. But yeah, I mean, just, just to round it up, Matthew, um, I think, am I right in saying that there's no fans allowed in at the Lions games at the moment? Yeah, I mean, South Africa, South Africa have had their problems with COVID and um, there was a time when it looked like this tour wasn't going to be happening for a long time. In fact, I, I think we said on the show... Uh, one of the last shows we had was that the probabilities were looking like South Africa weren't going to have this tour. And I, I don't think anyone would have been really against it if that had happened because South Africa have struggled with COVID. And, you know, remind me to mention the Rugby League World Cup because that's another thing that leads on from this. Um, but, yeah, I think that, I think the fact that there is a tournament down there um, 
there is a Lions tour down there, sorry, is a positive. And, you know, like I said, last weekend was a really good game of rugby. We've got two more games. If South Africa win, then we're, we're lined up for the third game being um, the decider. So it's a, it's a very good spectacle to see. It's a shame that obviously a lot of British and Irish Lions fans can't get to see it as in numbers that uh, they would have brought because the British and Irish Lions do travel well. Um, but I think deep down, the fact that there is games is the more positive thing because, like I said, there was a there was a very strong um, opinion that because of the numbers in Africa and also because of the numbers in Britain, don't kid, kid yourselves, you know, Britain do have high numbers of COVID as well and Ireland, um, this tour could have been called off. So the fact that we have a tour... I think is a bonus. The fact that the first game was very good and in the British and Irish Lions' favour was very good. But like I said, I think because of the way the first game went, this second game could be even better than the first. And, you know, South Africa have to come out. They have to win it. They've got the needle now. They've got the bit between the teeth. All of those players will be gunning for the Lions on Saturday. And yeah, if the Lions can pull off a result, brilliant. But if not, you know, it comes down to that final game in the week after that. Um and it could the, the tour arguably could be even better, but um, it was a good result last week. Like I said, the Lions were losing. Um, it, it didn't look too good at halftime, uh, but to come back from 12-3 down and to win 22-17 and any, against any team really that South Africa put out was always going to be a bonus. But they could they could arguably finish the series on, on Saturday, but you know if the Springboks do come out and win, it'll go on to the last test. Um and either way, I think us rugby fans are rubbing our hands together. Um, Matt, Matthew, can yeah. I ask you, um, what's your take on the fact that there's quite a few Scotland international players made it into the Lions this time round for the first time in quite a while? I think it all comes down to the fact that the Six Nations was so positive for Scotland. Um, I mean, like we were talking about, I mean, even though Scotland didn't obviously win the tournament, I think there was one or two periods of play, especially at home actually at Murrayfield, where Scotland could have arguably, you know, especially the Ireland game, could have arguably won those games and went on to win the Six Nations. So, you know, when you have players in there, finally that can that can compete at that level, it's brilliant, you know, so players of the calibre, you know, of Hogg, of the calibre of Van der Merwe, um, these guys can compete at that level and it just shows you, you know, Hogg fits in fine, Watson fits in fine, Van der Merver fits in fine. They don't look out of place and it's very positive to see from a Scottish level that we finally have players that are arguably, you know, world class that can compete for Scotland at Six Nations but can go in against South Africa and hold their own. Um, mm-hmm. Especially Van der Merver, you know, I think even though he's ironically South African, um, he, I think, has lit the show for Scotland during the Six Nations. Um, he's a big beast of a guy. He'll, he'll knock over like tons of the defenders one after the other to get a try. He looks brilliant. Hogg has looked brilliant. Uh, Watson looked brilliant as well. So I think the more lines that we have who are Scottish obviously translates to the fact that Scotland are playing better at Six Nations, at World Cups and at Autumn Tests. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the more the more the better because, like I said, we were, we were close this Six Nations, we were we weren't too off the pace at the World Cup. Say, um, going into the Autumn Test this year and next year's Six Nations, you know, can only hopefully get better. And and having these guys playing at this level with the Lions can only can only benefit Scotland because you up that level. You know, you, other yeah. Scottish players see the level that you've got to be at to compete for the Lions, to 
compete for World Cups, to compete for Six Nations. Yeah. And I think it brings these guys, it brings the rest of the players up too. So it only, it only says that, you know, Scotland are getting better. Um, Scottish players can compete at this level. And, you know, hopefully it brings the rest of the performance up for the Six Nations. Because, I mean, even though I'm talking about the Lions, Scotland obviously is my um, number one priority. And, you know, like I said, if we have players playing for the Lions, then it suggests that, Scotland are doing better at the international level and um, it shows. It does show. Matthew, yeah. I just want to ask you, do you think it makes a difference that Gregor Townsend is, is part of the coaching staff because he's a the Scotland manager? I think it does because, um, you know, Scott. I mean, Scotland generally, Scottish players, even Scottish players have been playing well. Um, they haven't always, it hasn't always translated to line selections or if it does, if it has in the past translated to line selection, um, it's always sort of in the B team. It's always on the bench. But uh, when you've when you've got someone like Gregor Townsend in there who knows the players, knows what they can do, and has brought the best out of Scotland, Scottish players at the Six Nation level, then I think he knows how to get the best out of them. He knows how to go to Gatland and say, you know, these guys are doing it for me for Scotland. These guys are doing it. Even you know, in the leagues for Glasgow and Edinburgh, these guys are doing it. Give them a chance. And you, you showed it showed on Saturday that Scotland player, Scottish players, the best players especially, don't look out of place at this level. It's just that they've not been always given the chance. And I think Townsend having Townsend in there has given Scotland more of a voice, and has given the players more confidence, obviously, while in the squad. But also, you know, when Scotland have performed with Townsend in there at international level too, you know, these players have performed for them. So. It's a, it's a bit of a circle, really. You know, Townsend comes in for Scotland. He gets performances from these players. He's in the Lions coaching staff. Therefore, he can sort of promote them at that level and they get picked. So it's a very positive yeah. Scotland. It's a, bit, a very positive um, time to be a Scottish rugby supporter. I know, because I've noticed that uh, Flynn Russell, he, he's been playing abroad as well. Do you think that helps? That they play, he's playing in, in uh, France as well, which... Uh, I well, think... I don't like saying that, obviously, but France is obviously... Say France is more like, say, in football terms, the Premiership of England. If you play in France, that's probably the top level for rugby um, in the league sort of setup. And when we have players... I mean, Finn Russell, I saw him play for... He was playing Munster and against Munster in the, in the Champions League. And to be honest, having... When we saw him in Scotland, it wasn't always the best. They always looked a little off the pace a little bit. But when you saw him play for Paris, it was unbelievable when he was surrounded by better players, actually. And I think, like I said, if these guys know how to play at that level, if these guys are playing in Champions League rugby, if they're playing in France, if they're playing in Scotland, then it lifts the level of everybody else because everyone else knows that they have to perform to that level. Ben Russell and players like that are not going to accept substandard performances anymore. They want to be successful. Um, so when we've got guys like that playing in England, when we've got guys like that playing in France, you're right, it ups the level, it ups their game, um, and they bring that back to Scotland. And, you know, we've saw the rewards of it at Six Nations, and because that they've performed so well in the Six Nations and Gregor Townsend obviously knows them and trusts them, you've saw them come into the line set up and they performed there too. So hopefully, hopefully now we're seeing Scotland finally reach the potential that we've arguably not seen this millennium. Um, finally, now uh, we might see that at Scotland level. And, you know, like I said, I'd rather, obviously, the Lions, great, but I'd rather see Scotland get back to challenging for Six Nations and stuff. And, you know, if this helps, then, albeit, that's that's fine. That's brilliant. 
Just before we move on to the Olympics, uh, James, a bit of sad news coming out of Scottish football this week. The and I, I I got a bit of a shock when I saw that Scotland and uh, Rangers uh, player Ali Dawson uh, passed away um, on Monday, and I had a bit of a shock because I I had the uh, I, I met Ali a few times. Ali Ali Dawson was involved in street soccer football. Uh, with, with David Duke and um, yeah so I, I was basically just cooking saying condolences to um, well first of all Rangers Football Club but also the um, also his family at this uh, difficult time but he was a nice guy I, I met him as I said I met him a few times because I was looking to get involved in uh, street soccer football as a volunteer and mm. uh yeah, he's a decent guy. Yeah, um, he was also a pretty decent player, um, from from what I can remember. Um, I don't really recall him much playing for Scotland. I know he, he had a couple of caps, a few caps, but um, certainly from you know his club football career, um, he was he was a pretty decent player. And like a lot of Rangers players, always seemed to up his game whenever they were playing Celtic. Um, by the same token, you get the same with the Celtic players as well, of course, um, who kind of up their game when they're up against Rangers. Um, that whole sort of rivalry um, that's there between the two clubs. But yeah, it was a real shot. Yeah, yeah. So, so Ali Dawson, uh, Rangers player, sadly passed away and, and, and condolences to his family. Let's move on now to speak about the Olympics and I'm quite delighted that the Olympics was going to egg because up until two weeks ago they were they were thinking and putting the plug on the Olympics claiming that it's brilliant to see even though even though you've got to stay up to funny o'clock to watch it because obviously when we go to bed over here it's during the day over there but I've caught one or two um snippets, I mean, I think I was watching the, foot, the football game, but the hockey um, early on this morning uh, for, for Team GB and Duncan Scott and the, the swimming has been doing well for uh, well, I was going to say for Scotland, but for Team GB because there's no Team Scotland until you could get to the Commonwealth Games, you know Yeah, it's done really well I mean, I think the disappointing thing for me about the Olympics is that there's no fans there. Um, I think having fans in those stadiums would have been brilliant for the for the Olympians. Obviously, would have been fantastic. Um, I think the Great Britain team, women's team today, were very, very unlucky. You know, mm. losing four three, heartbreaking for them. But they had a really good tournament. You know, they've done really well. Ellen White has been fantastic for them. Um, she scored a hat trick today, um, and I think they've done themselves really prize to be honest but I think not having fans in the stadium is the only disappointing thing for me I think mm-hmm. and and obviously Duncan Scott has won his third medal um, for Team GB in the swimming pool and that's very good to see um, as I say from Scotland point of view but also from a, a Team GB point of view as well but yeah I mean going back to the fans claim yeah a bit disappointing but I'm just happy to see the Olympics going ahead. I know, I think, as you said before, we never thought it was actually going to happen. Um, I think a bit like the Euros, we were thinking, mm. oh, this isn't going to happen, is it? Um, so it's brilliant that it's going ahead. And it's been it's been good, to be honest. I've 
I've enjoyed it, um, and I think today has been has been really good, to be honest. Yeah, um, I mean, I've actually watched a new sport, well, a new sport for me in the Olympics, James. I don't know if you've saw Grasshouse before, and I've been very interested in the, the way that, that the horse basically dances to the music, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I've I've seen dressage quite a few times. Um, I used to watch show jumping a lot. Um, I've not seen an Olympic game since about 1980, um, so I can't really uh, comment on it. But I do think there's a lot of there's a lot of sports that they include at the Olympics now. That for me, I'm not Olympic sports. You know, golf, tennis. You know, in my sure. opinion, the Olympic sports should be you know, javelin, running, you know, all those kind of things that were originally the Olympic sports. But that's just a personal opinion. And as I say, I haven't watched it. Um, what I have picked up on, though, is the amount of uh, positive COVID-19 cases amongst athletes mm, who are yeah. there to take part. And obviously, it's sad that they've gone all that way to, you know, take part in whichever sport it was. But they've come down with the COVID nineteen thing, and you know they're not going to be able to do so. That's a real shame. James, they obviously yeah. they obviously weren't using the same company the Rangers were using last year. Then <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I tell you, do you know Matthew? You're going to have to start watching your back. You're going to have to go about with huge big mirrors attached to you. You know, in case anybody comes up, my wife will be wondering what I'm doing, James. I bet bet Matthew can get away with this, James, because Matthew's not in Scotland, are you not, Matthew? But but then he's, you know, where he is, there's still a lot of Rangers supporters where he is. I think he's just gave the game away as well, James. Big to, not yeah. at all. Not at all. I mean, he could be in America. There's lots of Rangers supporters in America. Yeah. There's lots of Rangers supporters in Australia and New Zealand. You know, I'm not giving anything away, Michael. Um, yeah, but I mean, was it not one of the Olympians went to London and she she was tested positive for COVID down there and now she's got isolated in London. Um, and obviously since Scott could come up the road. Regan, what's your take on the Olympic Games? Have you have you been watching any? I was um I was very disappointed that 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 Mister um, Andy Murray pulled out the mm. singles, but he was playing the doubles. He got to the quarterfinals and then he got put out by Chilich and his partner. In the quarterfinals, so it's very disappointing because I like watching Andy Murray. You know, I think he's, Andy Murray's um, he's been a great Scottish sportsman and he's been absolutely brilliant. And it's just sad that the way it's, it's panned out for him. What, what do you make of it, Graham? Because obviously, Jane was saying about uh, sports in the Olympics that shouldn't be in the Olympics. I mean, this year, I think they've got about three new sports. They've got a, a sport called softball, uh, surfing and some something else. But also they've got shooting in the Olympics as well. Yep, and we'll come back to Graham because he's on the famous You're On Mute. I'm back. Yeah. I'm back. Graham was just saying no. that he's, a, he's an expert at shooting because he loves in Pennacook. <laughs> <laughs> That's very, very true. Um, 
No, I think I have to agree with what James said there. I think there's a lot of sports that are just not Olympic sports. Shooting is not an Olympic sport. Golf is not an Olympic sport. But one thing I wanted to raise was, and I saw it on Twitter earlier on, that I completely just disagree with. I can't remember her name, but there was an Olympian that I had to pull out because of mental health. Mm-hmm. And there was a... Gymnastics. A, yeah, there was a journalist, I shall call him, on Twitter who basically called her out and said, oh, that's shocking you're quitting because of mental health. For me, that's outrageous. If someone's got mental health issues, you should not be having a go at them if they've decided, you know what, I can't do this. They sh- that should not be happening. I think it's disgraceful how they've, how they've come across like that. Yeah, um, I can't, uh, forgive me, I can't remember her name, but it was Monday she was competing, and I think it was a team, uh, the, the team's, uh, gymnastics and she pulled out halfway through uh, she come from um, uh, Team America uh, or USA as they call it um, uh, but yeah I mean it's I mean get off people's back you know especially a so called journalist as they say it's, yeah. they should be more respectful than that the thing is though Michael does that not just show you how much lower than the gutter yeah. some journalists are that they'll attack a person because they're ill. Yeah. Because, you know, if they've got mental health issues, it's an illness. Yeah. Just the same as, you know, having the measles or the mumps is an illness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, if you're working in that profession, you, you should be, you should rise above all that kind of rubbish and, well, rubbish, that's the only word I can use and, and it's... Um, Quarter past six on a flag at night, but yeah, it's just it's just kind of like shocking, you know, and um, you know, and I, I hope he, I hope his bosses speak to him about that, you know, because he's not setting a good example for like the net set of journalists like coming through, um, you you know, but yeah, I just wish people just kind of rise above that Reagan and kind of like look up upon people as people and not, you know, putting them in, in boxes, I would say. No, exactly. I mean, you, you, I just checked the news there and there's uh, Ben Stokes, the cricket. He's took, he's retired from cricket there for his mental health, so we don't know how long he's going to be out for as well. So it's just, it's one of the things where you just need to take any, any perspective what people what people are going through and not judge right away, you know. Do, do you think it's as well that I, I open up to everyone here, right? But do you think it's because of the the media always on your back every five seconds to watch what you're eating for dinner and, and watch what, when you're um, emptying the bins at the back door? And, you know, like everybody's keeping an eye on you. It's like Big yeah. Brother. Yeah. It's not just the media, though, Michael. It's, it's the whole social media so, yeah. thing. You know, um, because if you're in the public eye, you know, whether you're a sportsman or whatever it is that you're doing, there is always going to be some little torag who is going to try and make a buck out of, you know, calling you out or showing a picture of you throwing up in the gutter, you know, mm. because you went out for a night out with your pals. I mean, um, I, mean I remember the picture of Scott Brown a couple of years mm. ago. Um where he, you know, he had been out with some of his mates, and the the press tried to make it that he was absolutely plastered, you know, and couldn't walk and all the rest of it. And as it turned out, that wasn't the case at all. He was actually just sitting 
uh, on the curb. Mm. <laughs> I mean, but I, he was drunk. But I mean, I mean, good look at Mick of the Scudgeon. Uh, what was it? Uh, are we last year? He was caught without a face mask for two seconds, and that was yeah. like headlines everywhere. You yeah. know, like national news as well. And you're thinking, well. You know that, you know, but yeah, social media. I mean, I don't know about you, Regan, but social media is a brilliant way to network, especially on marketing, a line of work and, and stuff like that. But also, as James says, people just puts anything on to because social media and kind of like bag mouth you as well, you know. Social media, you need to be so careful, Michael, because it's got its good points, but it's got its bad points as well, you know. Because people can just say something and and they're they they they're seeing it through a, through a laptop or through a computer mm-hmm. and it, they don't realise that pe that people are um, being affected by it, you know yeah so well, I think that's part of the problem that pe- that people can um, go by someone that's not their face or not their name and, and it's fine I mean, we, we, we see, like I mean, you, you just need to look at the England game the the penalties. Mm-hmm. And it's they 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 missed those penalties. The England um, squad got um, racially abused, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the thing is it's it's this so-called uh, invisibility, mm-hmm. you know, when you're doing this on social media. And believe you me, you're not invisible, but it's the companies like Twitter and Facebook who really aren't doing enough to sort these people out, and. Basically, what they're saying is, well, it's not up to us, it's up to the government to sort them out. Um, And let's be honest, the government in Westminster kind of fall into that camp a wee bit with some of their ministers. So, you know, they're not really going to be keen to to put an end to it. But the the Facebooks and the Twitters and all the rest of it, these social platforms should be doing more to flag up. And if it's a case of saying to the police, user XYZ, you know, as somebody that racially abused uh, this person, then that's what they should be doing. And and you would think as well, Glenn, that because of we're going through a world pandemic and people sadly losing their lives, you would think people are going to be nice to each other now, you know, but, uh, you know, a better society for everyone. But it's just when get James was saying about social media, I still living in the dark ages and and then taking it one step further again, we we Reagan was mentioning about Raheem Sterling and his colleagues and the the penalty shootout for England. I mean, if yeah. if that was a and I said to you as well that if they if they scored the goals, they would be at MBE at the moment. But because they missed the penalties, they have, they've been called for everything. Yeah, I mean, what Reagan said is absolutely spot on. I mean, I follow quite a few like celebrities on that on social media. And one of the guys I follow has said he was out one of his friends watching that England game. And as soon as Rashford, Saka and Sancho missed the penalties, he went, you know what's going to happen, don't you? In about 10 minutes, they're going to get racial abuse. And he was bang on. And it's absolutely shocking what those boys have had to go through. The profession of football is a missed a penalty. Mm-hmm. You know what? They've had the bottle. To, they've had the bottle to get up and take one. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I, I would bottle it completely. But these guys have had their bottle to go up and take the penalty. You know, they've had a really good tournament for England, and that's the one thing they're going to remember for is missing those penalties. 
and it shouldn't be happening. And I think what I said earlier on about like the journalist calling out this girl on social media for mental health, it's such a serious topic. You should not be criticizing somebody. If they've had to quit because they are not well, if they're you know, if they've got mental health issues, that shouldn't be get that shouldn't be something that you're having a go at. I think it's absolutely shocking and I think there should be more to be done on social media to call these people out. Mm-hmm. And but I mean it's not even um you know, um people coming out and saying, Oh, well I've got mental health issues well it's not affecting them but people forget that it it's gonna affect their families as well. And oh let's face it, everybody's on Facebook now and everybody's on Twitter. So you know, it's going to affect, like, the husband or the wife or, or whoever or the cousins or, or, you know, whatever, and just kind of, like, stop it. I mean, that, that brings us back to a subject that we, we we were speaking about every week last season, Matthew, about taking the knee before the game. And I, 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 I don't know if everybody else feels about this, but I don't think it's really working. And that's not me being negative. No, I th- to a certain extent, I think you're probably right, Michael. Um, but uh, people have to, to try and make a stand. Yeah. yeah, people have got to try and make a stand some way. Yeah. Um, or in the case of some footballers, you know, the, the taking of the knee. I mean, it was interesting, I thought, with the Celtic Michelin game, that all the Celtic players took the knee, but all the Michelin players decided to stand. Yeah. You know, um, so at the end of the day, I think it should be up to the individuals. So if an individual doesn't want to take the knee, but they want to stand, they're still taking part in that, you know, minutes uh, time before the game, you know, to, to sort of highlight that issue. Um, but it, yeah, it, it's probably not as effective as it was when it first happened. Go on yourself, Regan. Regan, boy. Uh, I think it makes it worse. Also, that so many black players have come out and said this is not working. Mm. So it, it's a situation where we, we need to just accept that if 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 they feel better to do it, I know to do it. We just need to accept it, you know. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, though. That because I think what is forgotten when when black players come out and say it's not working, the press are quite good to therefore say, well, it's not working, so therefore you should stop taking the knee. But I think what they kind of mean is it's not going far. It's not working because nothing else is being done, and therefore um, it's not being effective. But I mean, to me, it's it's not being effective because it was a good. It was it drew attention to it, but then it kind of nobody really did anything about it after that, and therefore it, it wasn't as effective as it could be. But to me, that's not a reason to stop it. It'd be a reason to continue it and push it on. And keep going until social change happens. But, but do, do you think the biggest sorry, Matthew? I know we spoke about this before, but and obviously we've got a, a bit more time here. But um, do you not think the biggest culprit here is UEFA? Because as you know, as football fans, go to the game every week. Or when you watch the game on the telly, you see an advert before the game again, racism and stuff like that, and. That that happened at Ibrox to was it sorry Glen Kamala last season, uh, that the guy uh, you know cupped cup his mouth and, and said something, 
and you 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 know so UEFA's kind of not really doing much there. Yeah, I mean, from a football point of view, I think UEFA. I mean, UEFA are quick enough, like we said last year. You know, UEFA are quick enough to jump in if, say, the top teams are breaking away and forming their own league. They're quick enough then to jump in. But with that situation, they're quite slow. And, you know, they were seen to not really want to get involved in the whole racist thing as much as as much as much they should do. Um, but this thing's a societal issue. I mean, the, taking the knee generally won't work well, you know, especially in England, you have a racist prime minister. Up mm-hmm. until recently, you had, you know, the Queen's partner was arguably racist. Um, large swathes of English society are quite racist. So taking the knee won't automatically work there because right away you have large swathes of the English population that just don't want to admit to themselves that they do have a little bit of a racist issue. Um, but again, that's that's why I think a lot of black players maybe do say that's not working because nothing visibly is happening. But like I said, it should go more, you know, if, the, if taking the knee annoys some mainly white people in England, then yeah, continue to take the knee. But do you know, you... I don't see why it should stop. But it should go further. I, I think, though, like you said earlier, Matthew, it is a societal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and until society can accept everybody for who they are, be it their colour, be it the fact that they might be disabled or whatever the case may be, you're always going to have these issues. And I tend to take a kind of bleak view um, that human beings are just like that. There's something that they within human beings that makes them hate someone of a different colour or from a different country or because they have a disability. And it's, it's a sad thing to have to say. Yeah, yes and no, yes and no, James, but and I know what you're saying there, right, but obviously, and this is what's good about doing a live show, you, you don't know what you're going to speak about, but I'm um, just picking up on you there, James, uh, obviously, yeah, I mean, you know, we can all just, just like people or hate people, you know, whatever, uh, maybe not in that context as well, but boo people at football but you don't automatically say you know I, I wish I will against that person but would you not agree with me that a, a lot of it's um, down to schools because we, we should be doing more in schools to educate people about as you say disability about um, gay and ethnic minorities and, and all that and that's including sport as well well, do you know what, Michael? I would take it even further than that and say that it's parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. I, rec- I remember when I was being brought up, when I was a wee boy, I was brought up to show respect to other people, regardless of who they were, where they were from, if they weren't able-bodied. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And don't get me wrong, I've made mistakes in the past, just like everybody's made mistakes in the past, you know, and I've said things that I shouldn't have said. But I've got older and I'm wiser, um, and at the end of the day, it is, you know, if someone is brought up to disrespect, whatever it may be, then they will always have that disrespect, and then they'll carry that on with their children. I mean, I this reminds me of the debate when um, we had it last year, in fact, Michael, when someone brings up Catholic schools has been the problem for sectarianism, and then obviously it's like the person who's been persecuted gets blamed for being the problem. Um I think you're spot on. I think schools, I've never, I mean, I went to Catholic school myself. Um, 
And never once was I taught in Catholic school to hate someone because of their race or religion or whatever. Um, I think at home, that's where it definitely is taught. Um, if you're taught at home that somebody who's different from you is uh, either a problem or a threat to you, then you take that into school, you take that into your workplace, you take that into football venues or whatever you're doing in life. Um, and you're spot on, James, I think. Um, I think it does, a lot of it does originate in home because, I, like I said, that I have friends that are obviously different nationalities or yeah. different races or whatever, and they went to different schools for me and all that kind of stuff. Nobody I know was taught in school that somebody else is bad because of X, Y, and Z. In yeah. fact, I would say the opposite was true. Um, but if you're then in school for eight, like seven hours a day for however many days you're in school, not that many over the course of a year, but then if you go home, that's where it festers. And until you until you challenge that and you bring that out, then no matter what anyone else does, that's going to remain. And it's how you challenge the home environment is where you go. And that is a big, big question. It's good. It's weird how we're speaking about it. And uh, obviously news is good. Look, uh, Rangers captain uh, uh, James Cavanier said that the team the, the team will take the knee before every game this season and he's urging fans to uh, support them by doing by the, by um taking the knee so there you go so that's coming from uh, James Cavanier so we'll see what happens tomorrow I, I mean that's good between because I mean, Rangers have a big responsibility in this because they were, I mean, they were very positive when when that racist incident happened. They were very quick to come out and challenge it. They were very quick to challenge UEFA over it. They were very quick to challenge the player on the other side with it. It was all very positive, the amount of work they did to combat racism, and they should be applauded for that. And with Rangers then, they should take that forward because a lot of their fans, when you read their um, the pages that Rangers fans do follow or produce a lot of them are against taking the knee a lot of them boo it um and regardless of what anyone says it takes a special and special and in inverted commas special type of person to be against someone actively challenging racism mm-hmm. so i think rangers have to push that on and it, more importantly they have to push that on from the sectarian thing because racism just doesn't end with color it goes on to other aspects of society and i think if rangers was positive and challenging uh, certain other things like sectarianism as they were racism then I think we'd be on to a winner yeah yeah no no definitely uh, that 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 news just came out there about two minutes ago um, and it's just from James Cavanier and I suppose it's like um, even though we, we are having this conversation Reagan about it but we're, we're not affected by it and I would say that when you listen to Marvin Barkley or James Cavanier or whoever it's more powerful No definitely Michael I think it's important that we listen to, to, to these people who have obviously experienced it and then you obviously had the, had the incident last season where Conor Golson he, he had one bad p- p- performance for Rangers and uh, people were messaging them through social media. So I think that's the problem as well, that people think that if they, if they go under a a fake name on social media, that they can abuse football players and they won't feel effects from it. But it's so important to recognise that we need to play our part in this. 
just to uh, remind people, um, if you just tuned in, well, well, send an email. Why, why are you late for the program? We're here every Friday night between five and seven. This is the locker room. If you want to email us at any point, um, um, email us in uh, lockerroomindelive at gmail.com that's lockerroomindelive at gmail.com we are here every Friday night throughout the season between 5 and 7 tonight we are joined tonight by James, Matthew, Regan and Graham that's some that's some fibre side team let me tell you um, and, and scuff Goose come back to the Olympics for the, the minute that, um, you know, it's brilliant to see the Olympics taking part because, as I said, up until two weeks ago, they were, they were talking about um, cancelling the Olympics because there are too many positive cases of um, uh, coronavirus. It's going ahead, but it's brilliant to see as well, Reagan, that after the Olympics, we'll have the Paralympics as well. Yeah, no, we've got so many, um, so many hopes there. We've got, um, got Gordon Reed who you know well, who plays at the tennis. We've got Steve Maguire who plays the boccia, and we've also got some some uh, um, great Sc- Scottish athletes as well, like Kelly Hago and S- S- Samantha King on as well. Who, yep. who I know you've spoken to for your uh, documentary, Michael. So that'll be good. Yeah, no, Regan, no. don't give him an in to spin his shows. Yeah. Regan! Yeah, yeah. No, no, t- to be honest with you, right, I didn't expect Regan to say that there, and I didn't mean it to tee uh, uh, Regan. Excuse me, Michael. Me Sorry, Michael. I'm not going to speak about it. Michael, time. I need to butt in there. You know as well as I do that there's a check winging its way to Regan as we speak. Yeah. For mentioning your documentary, I'm 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 going to um, speak to that pigeon outside the windows. And now um, I'll I'll be I'll be here by Nick Sack again, Regan. So hopefully you'll be. Actually, has he got a new TV behind him and a new set of curtains and everything? No, it's just a house, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean it's. Regan's laughing because he knows I'm talking about him. That's the check money he spent already. Ah, that right, middle right, as well. I, I thought you were. <laughs> I thought you were talking about me there. <laughs> no, you've got the same old dingy house, Michael. <laughs> in, and the same old piles of laundry. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. By the way, just in case people's wondering, everybody's not in my bedroom. By the way, just in case that would Thank be goodness. a diff- that would be a different show altogether. So, moving swiftly on. James is jumping on the bed as we speak. <laughs> I wonder if Graham's okay. He's kind of disappeared now. So, yeah. Oh, no, he's, he's no, I'm uh, here. I'm here. Yeah. Michael looks like he's living in a really posh um, hotel <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> no, it's a motel, not a hotel. A motel. Yeah. It looks like a travel lodge, mate. <laughs> uh, other hotels are available and I need to get in there just in case we get into trouble but I thought it was a homeless unit personally <laughs> again we need to move on swiftly um, is that the be- is that someone in the bed behind you oh <laughs> why give it okay uh, I've got the power to mute Matthew so uh, there you it's, go. it's his teddy bear Matthew <laughs> but having a picnic um, yeah, it's, it's Hoopy the, the Huddle Hound <laughs> 
Anyway, well, you're, I'm playing with his tail. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm games. That's why we're not going. That's how we weren't allowed going live last season. Now <laughs> I can work it now. Um, yeah, I mean it's brilliant to see. I'm trying to bring it back to the Olympics now. I'm, uh, it's brilliant to see some sporting action. Um, Regan, um, are you are you watching the Olympics? Um, I watched the, the the ladies' football. I see that um, the Great Britain squad went out to Australia today, um, but they've, they've been playing well. I watched a bit of that, and um, no, they've been doing well. But um, no, to be honest, it's been a, it's been too late at night for me. Yeah, it's it's too too late at night for everyone. But I'm getting to see the highlights. I'm I'm staying up till about one o'clock and going to bed get half one so I can <laughs> I can get the Olympics as, as well. But yeah, I mean I think today I think the it was day one of the athletics. Now that's very weird because they've got no people in there whatsoever. Uh, uh, and all that, you know. I think that will make it quite a weird atmosphere because mm. when you watch athletics, um, generally speaking, you know, when, when they're getting themselves sorted to do the long jump and stuff like that, you know, you've got the crowd clapping and, you know, trying to generate a bit of atmosphere to, to G them up a wee bit more. And I think uh, that will be quite a weird situation for the people that are taking part that they won't be able to get that kind of atmosphere. I wasn't going to mention about my documentary, but now now that you mentioned the atmosphere, James, I was speaking to Libby Clegg a few weeks ago. I don't know if you're familiar with Libby, but she's visually impaired and she is uh, an athlete uh, going to Team GB. And that was one of the questions I asked her, James, because... I wanted to ask about even though um, even though we fans in there, it's it's gonna be hard for, for her and a and a right um what you would call a sight guide because she runs with a partner um um obviously but because this year at the Olympics is gonna be more difficult because she doesn't um she kind of figs off the atmosphere of the fans you know go to the finishing line, but no one's there. So I was asking her, like, how it's going to like, affect her in the way forward as well. But, I mean, um, but, I mean, it's brilliant to see the Olympics, the Olympics going ahead in the Paralympics, but it's a bit weird to see them branding the Olympics as 2020, not yeah. 21, because they spent a lot of money on it. Here's a question for you, Michael. Do you think that the Olympics and the Paralympics, Paralympics should be running at the same time? Or is it better that they're separate? Uh, uh, I, don't know, I don't know about you, Regan, but I would say, I, I, I would think they would be better running together because there would be more fans there. But in saying that... Um, just to play devil, um, devil's advocate here, we but I would be good to have them standing alone. Um, but it's a wee bit different in the Commonwealth Games. I don't know about mm. you, Reagan. Um, no, I, th- I think it's better that the event stay alone so that they can uh, 
showcase the the Paralympics um, uh, as to, as a separate event to make it more um, to to make it more separate. But the only the only problem I do have with that is that some of the sports that are less well known and t- some of the athletes they don't get as much um, coverage on yeah. Channel Four or BBC because if you look at it, the only sport that really gets covered in Channel Four is really swimming. This woman, this woman pool, or the uh, 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 the athletics arena, so they don't really cover the, the tennis or the botcher or the any uh, 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 other sports. You know, you know what I mean, yeah, Michael. Yeah, and that's good to see you. Matthew, that you know, um, obviously we'll speak about the Paralympics in a few weeks because they're not due to begin to the. I think it's the twenty fifth of August. It run for a few a few days, but it's good to see that um, sports like that being on the TV, Matthew. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think I think sort of Paralympics and women's sport as a whole as well. Generally, when you think of all the other sports, men's sports take up so much publicity, so much media that you know I feel you feel sorry for the different sides of sport, like women's sport, Paralympics, all this. Um, that they're not given as much publicity. And and therefore, I'm kind of like you, actually. It's a very difficult question to answer when you say, should they run parallel or should be a standalone sport? It's a very difficult answer, um, answer to give because you can see if they were together, like you say, they would be probably given more media coverage. They would be probably have more fans in the venues um, and things like that. But if you take away that standalone element of it, it might well be that the, say, the Olympics, the original Olympics might st- still suck up all of the coverage and the Paralympics are set to the side, whereas if you have it as a standalone event, you know, they have to cover it. So it's a very difficult thing to do. But the main thing, I think, this year, like you say, with COVID, is that these events do take place or are allowed to take place. Um, and like Regan says, just hopefully they'll be given as much coverage as they deserve because, you know, so much um, decent sport is missed out on by maybe... BBC Channel 4 or whoever's covering different events, not showing as much as you should do. So, you know, like here in Ireland, for example, if you're, if there's an event with the people with disabilities or if even the women's sport, things like that, they're given national coverage and fair national coverage. So, like, to give an example for the Gaelic Games over here, like, if you're a women's athlete here and you're competing in the GAA, the national finals here are on the national broadcaster and because they're on the national broadcaster at proper times um, people get to see them obviously and now their finals at Croke Park can get 50 60,000 in there now does that mean for example for the Paralympics if they are or, or para sports generally does that mean if they are now given a fair amount of coverage on national TV at decent times and advertised properly that would mean that more more men or boys and girls, for example, look up to them, see them on television and therefore attend events. Or that also would mean that people who do have disabilities can are more likely to look up to the, the athletes and therefore want to actually participate in sport. So it has a knock-on effect. It's not just a major event. It has a trickle effect all the way down there. So I think it's time that all sports outside of your normal men's usual rubbish that we get to see only i think it's good that all sorts of sports um are given fair coverage because it does have a knock-on effect and paralympic the paralympics is definitely an example of that and that's what yeah that's what i was just going to say michael i think it's important that 
every sport gets the proper uh, attention it deserves so that young people and are disabled don't don't feel as if they're being left out and, and and they can inspire to these people. They can say, well, he's got a disability and he's able to do it. She's blind and she's able to throw a ball on the net or she's able to to play with your rugby or basketball or tennis or butcher or whatever the sport is. Yeah, I mean, because uh, a few weeks ago, um, no, that um, happy through the season, Matthew, we, we spoke about this in the show, and BBC has um, dedicated an hour on a Sunday night, I think, to the Women's Premiership, you know, where um, it fits the Rangers, Hearts, and Celtic, and, and all these kind of teams, he, he, um, and and that's very good to see as well. But um, I just wanted to say quickly that I, I think I saw somewhere uh, at the at the beginning of the Olympics, you know, they were giving you the breakdown of the women and the men for Team GB. And I think I saw somewhere. Um, I I don't know if um, Regan or anyone can can back me up here, but I I think uh, they said there was more women in Team GB this year than men, and I would say that's a good thing to see. I don't know, Michael, but I heard you interviewed uh, Craig Brown a few weeks ago. <laughs> um, I'll try and get out of that one, but uh, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not happening. No, I, I mean, I think it, I think it's, I think it's fair enough because I mean, the more obviously, I mean, the women's football is an example because. You know, if you, for example, if you're having Celtic versus Rangers in a Scottish Cup game, right, it's advertised everywhere, everywhere, newspapers, radio. If it was on the BBC or Premier Sports or whatever, it's advertised at nauseam, you know, constantly. But, you know, the show you've mentioned about or the women's English Premier Leagues on BT Sports and things like that, you very rarely see adverts for it prime time if there's a big men's game, for example, coming up. And I, I do think it's not just about having these... Um, having these events on TV as well, it's about advertising them properly and fairly as well, so people know that they're there. Because you you brought up a really good point about the highlights program, but how many people know that highlights program is there, Michael? Mm, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Obviously, Gustak exists uh, last season, but yeah, I mean, obviously it was in the middle of the season, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, um, James uh, messaged me in the. Like in the WhatsApp group by the week about the BT BT Sport uh, was showing disability football for the first time, and I think Reagan that's the only out with Channel Four and maybe the the BBC. That's the first time I can another broadcaster um broadcaster football. That that's why I just what what that that's why I put my hand up for that for me. I'm just going to say that BBT Sport have shown great things. Because they also show wheelchair football, poverty football, amputee football. So, so, so it just shows that they're um, willing to show the sport and make it more available to people that, that don't know what it is. Because people don't know that if, if you're playing wheelchair football or amputee football, it's five it's five, of the, five people that are playing, you know, it's not mm. all of the sides. Mm. So... I think that's important as well. Yeah. And also, it's important that um, they see the, the, the see the viewing figures and they see how many people are tuning in to watch it and they go, 
well, this may be a market for us to show this again. So it's important that they they, they show it then, but they show it again and, and, and get more pe- people involved in it. Because the the, the last thing BT Sport want to do is show it one time and go, well that, well, that, well, that was great, but we'll not show it until five or, five, five or ten years down the line, you know what I mean, Michael? Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And I think we'll come back to this subject as the weeks come on. But just before we finish up, obviously we've got 10 minutes left on the show. We'll be back next Friday as well. And don't forget, you can listen to us at the podcast as well. But James wanted to touch upon Celtic and Rangers. Well, actually, it was Graham, Graham um, sorry, that put yeah. it up first. But he'd only sent it to me as a private message, so I put it out for, for everybody. Um, yeah, it was just a, could we have two minutes just to talk about the Rangers and Celtic Colt teams, mm. um, which are obviously playing, you know, in the, uh, is it the Lowland League? Oh, yeah. um, I think, personally, I think they should have been introduced to the, the bottom tier of the Scottish Professional Football League, because um, it's a great grounding for young players uh, if they come up against some of these old hardened pros that are still playing at the bottom end of the Scottish Professional Football League. Um, it toughens them up well. Don't know if MD's got any thoughts on that. That is what I'm, um, no, no, I think it's very important because if you look at um, people like Andrew Robertson, Steve Nadonnell, all those players have left Celtic and left Rangers, like Greg Taylor left Rangers. I don't know who else left Rangers, but if you look, and then I watch a lot of Spanish football, so see like Barcelona B, they play in the bottom of the, the Spanish football. So that's also, they're showing that they can develop and they can bring through people. So it means that they're playing, they're, they're playing against men, you know what I mean? They're playing against men and, and, and they can they, they can develop faster and quicker. Because there's yeah. no point Celtic, uh, Celtic under-17s playing against more than under-17s, you know what I mean? You're not going to win anything but by one in fifteen now because Celtic's the best team in Scotland. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, you guys won't remember this because you are all far too young. But when I was a boy growing up, uh, your top professional teams, so your Celtics, your Rangers, your Aberdeens, etc., they used to farm their second string players and third string players out to the juniors. To toughen them up, yeah. and that's where they learned their craft playing against these old hoary ex-professionals who made it into the junior leagues. How, how I think we'll just call James Granddad James from now on. Is that all right? <laughs> <laughs> just that's how every sentence sentence starts. Yeah, you, that was a boy. <laughs> you've actually you've actually reminded me of something there, James. How important do you think it was for the Scottish women's football team to play all the qualifying games at Hampden this season? Absolutely imperative. Um, we had spoken about this before, Michael, um, and part of the reason for that decision, I'm sure, was the fact that the Scottish women's team played the Reggae Girls, uh, which is the Jamaican women's football team um, at Hamden. I think it was in 2018, right? certainly prior to the COVID the pandemic. Cup, yeah. And there was a really good crowd uh, at Hamden for that event. Um, and it showed that they could go to Hamden and get the crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, and that will raise the profile of women's football, and you never know, a, 
a, a girl could be going towards that football game and, and get inspired about it. That's what really I like about the Olympics and the Paralympics as well. well Michael, see the Scotland the women's team, if you're a national football team, you should be playing at the national stadium and it's as simple as that. Or if you're yeah. any any national team for Scotland should be playing at the national stadium, right? That should be the way it is. Um, and you're right about the girls because I've said last year, you know, when, when my girls are looking to play football, it's sad because up until recently, all of their, all of their role models were guys. Um, and it wasn't until recently, you know, now that the women's game is sort of coming on a bit more, but especially in Ireland, you know, because they advertise it so well, a lot of their heroes were women, women athletes in Ireland. But now, you know, the Scottish women's game is coming on a lot more. They finally have Scottish women players to look up to, and, and that is, that's ideal. Um, but to go back again to the, the point about the Coke teams, I agree completely with Regan and James. Um, I mean, like Celtic and Rangers are a bit like Barcelona and Real Madrid in some ways, in the sense that because of the pressure to win games, at Celtic and Rangers is very similar to Real Madrid and Barcelona. They're not likely to put a lot of youth players into their team, um, or definitely as much as they should do. So, you know, the B teams are, our Coke teams, sorry, are imperative because it gives the young team players a chance to to obviously go on and develop in this game that the reserve might not even do it properly in Scotland but there was another point to that that I think teams outside of the Celtic and Rangers bubble miss a lot of them are worried because it just it could mean that Celtic and Rangers obviously go on and push on and have better young players developing than the other teams but what they fail to realise is a lot of these players if they do develop at Celtic and Rangers and they do reach a decent level um, the chances are they still probably won't make a lot of the Celtic and Rangers first teams so where will they go? They'll go to other teams in the Premier League and teams in the Championship. So not only will that help Celtic and Rangers in the long run, but obviously it has a knock-on effect to young players in Scotland going elsewhere. And it can, for me, like um, like James and Regan says, I think it will develop, help develop the young players and therefore help Scottish football as a whole, not just Celtic and Rangers, uh, push on and make sure make sure that no young player misses the boat because. You know, I think Regan mentioned Andy Robertson there. How close was he to missing the boat there and being missed out on as a world-class player? You know, very close. So we don't want if we can if we can create a system that means that that won't happen, then I'm all for it. And like James and Regan have said, like I said, uh, Celtic Rangers should be having Colts teams and in, in, in the bottom of the league structure at the very least. And I mean, that's that's what happened to me, Matthew. Exactly, just what you have described there, mate. <laughs> and you were too small as well, were you? <laughs> Robertson was working in Martin Spencer's. He was working in Martin Spencer's. And he wasn't very good at that either. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I suppose that, um, everything's possible in football because was Sherry Kerr not a manager of the, um, a men's team, a university team? And then as you look at the Glasgow City's women's team, you've got Scott Booth now as well. So, and he's away to he's away to the English Premiership now. He's away oh, to, right. uh, to Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favourite team, Regan. <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, they, yeah. Well, I would just like to say thanks for everyone for tonight's uh, show. It's been a wonderful. Um, Wonderful, maybe it's over the top there, but it's been brilliant to come back. Uh, we're here every Friday night. Between... Eco, it's like the Celtic defence we do as well as we can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, um, my views are off of positive, so we'll finish off in that positive note this week. And um, we'll be back next Friday between 5 and 7. Don't forget you can email us at lockerroomindylive at gmail.com or you can check us out on the podcast. Uh, just go on to the Indie uh, Rego website and you can check us out there. Stand by, we've got some fantastic shows coming up over the weekend. And as I said, have a good weekend. And I'm looking, looking forward to seeing the football from a TV screen this weekend. I'm not actually um I'm not actually going to the football uh this weekend but um yeah but hopefully you enjoy the the football and good luck to Celtic uh Hibs Aberdeen in Europe next week and uh, yeah so have a good week and I just, we will Michael. I just want to say good luck to everybody um, for the Scottish Premier League this uh, weekend, starting with the exception of a team from the West End of Glasgow and a team from Runabout Gorgie. <laughs> Packet Fizzle. Okay, so we'll be back next week. Bye.